find chapter 18. We'll read the uh, whole chapter. We're going to concentrate on the prayer beginning at uh, verse 16. Abraham, the man of prayer, as we continue walking through Genesis... Let's pick up reading in verse 1. says, The Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of meat, or of of bread rather, that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on, since you've come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. Then the men set out from there, and they looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? 
Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let the Lord, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Now, of course, at the beginning of the chapter, we, we see the beginning of the fulfillment of the promise uh, to God of a son that we've looked at in previous chapters. And that's why I want us to simply pick up tonight in verse 16 at Abraham's prayer of intercession. Uh, I don't know if you've read much about George Mueller If you've read anything about him, you know that he was a great saint of God. He lived from 1805 to 1898. Uh, He was a very worldly man before his conversion. But he's a man that God truly set on fire after he was saved. He set set him on fire for the sake of the gospel. His life is one of the most fascinating lives that you could ever read about, especially as it pertains to keeping orphan children and to praying. Uh, You've probably read about some of his orphanage work. With only 50 cents in his pocket, Mueller opened his orphanage in Bristol, England, And over the course of 60 years, he took care of more than 10,000 orphans. He and his wife had a policy of never making their needs known to man. They committed that they would not tell man about their financial needs. They would pray and ask God to meet their needs. And they made a commitment. That if God ever fails to meet the need of the orphans and we don't have enough to feed and clothe them and keep shelter over their heads, we'll close the orphanage down concluding that it's no longer His will that we keep it open. And so that was their commitment. Mueller said that uh, it was amazing how the Lord answered some of those prayers. Sometimes it would be only hours before the next mealtime. 
And they would go over to the pantry and open up the pantry closet and look in and, and, and there would be no food there whatsoever. And then a knock would come at the door and there would be sufficient food. Usually not just for that day, but for the next day's coming. And they saw that happen like that time and time and time again. It's said that when Mueller and his wife died, they, they died virtually penniless themselves. And yet millions of dollars had passed through their hands. I, I would encourage you to, to get a book on Mueller. Uh, you can find them. They're, they're, they're classics. You can find them in most Christian bookstores in the section on classics. Uh, find a book on, on his life spelled M-U-E-L-L-E-R. But, but find his, uh, his biography and uh, read about his care of the children and about his prayer life, his prayer of intercession for the children. Now, I mention him because when we read Genesis 18 tonight, it's this very passage right here on intercessory prayer that is what inspired George Mueller to become an intercessor himself. When he read this passage... And how Abraham prayed and and kept asking God over and over and over again about sparing the city if a certain number of righteous could be found. It's this passage that Mueller said God used to touch his heart that he would pray for the children and the uh, orphanages. He said, Lord, the scripture says that you are the father to the fatherless. And that means that these children are yours. They're not mine. While I'm their caretaker, you are their father. They have needs and I cannot provide for all of their needs. But Lord, you can. Heavenly Father, I call on you to honor your own word. If you have promised that you are the father to the fatherless, then you must show yourself a father to these children And take care of them. Bold intercession. Bold intercession. You know the Bible commands us to pray. But that raises a question doesn't it? Why don't we pray more? Isaiah 64 7 says. There is none who calls on your name. There are none Who arouse themselves to take hold of thee. You hear the shock in Isaiah's voice? Lord, where where are the intercessors? Where are the prayer warriors? Where are those who would take hold of you? You're willing to hear, you're willing to answer, but the intercessors are not there. Why is it that people don't pray? Now bear with me a moment. I'm going to spend a few more minutes in the introduction tonight maybe than I normally would. But uh, this is such an important topic for us talking about intercessory prayer. Why don't we intercede more? 
Well, let's think of a few reasons perhaps. Some would give a practical reason. You may want to write these down. Some would give a practical reason. They would say that they don't pray because it doesn't work. What are they normally expressing? They're normally expressing that they have prayed about something and God didn't answer their prayer the way they were wanting Him to and so they concluded prayer doesn't work. Well, maybe they were asking wrongly. James 4 says we can ask amiss. We can ask with selfishness in our hearts so that we can consume things on our own lust. And so James says we shouldn't think God's going to answer our prayers if we're not asking according to the will of God. Folks, we need to be careful that we're not trying to use prayer like a a bubblegum machine. You know, put your coin in, turn the handle, and and out pops the piece of bubblegum or the prayer answer that we want. But, But prayer is not like Aladdin's lamp whereby we just simply get things from God. Prayer is an avenue where we get to know God and give ourselves to Him. And over time, in prayer, God is shaping us and molding us. God's doing a work on us as we pray, as we spend weeks and months and years in prayer. God is teaching us things about Himself. And the more we learn about Him, the more we start praying according to the will of God. And the more we pray according to the will of God, the more we're going to see answers to prayer. Some would give a rational reason. There are some that say, you know what? We live in a closed system. Now, what's meant by that? No, but uh, think of the deist. Closed system. God, God created everything. Well, God created everything. He put natural laws in place to govern the universe. And God has has created the universe with those natural laws. And then after God did that, God has walked away just to kind of let things happen or play out. And God himself doesn't intervene. God doesn't intervene. It's a closed system. He doesn't intervene. Deism. Mm-hmm. Sort of the, the clockmaker mentality. The universe is like a clockmaker who makes a clock, winds it up, gets it going, sets it up on the mantle, walks away. Well, folks... Both testaments in the Bible are a testimony against that. God does intervene. Noah's flood. Right? Noah's flood. How about Moses? And and God delivering the children of, of Israel out of Egypt. And 
calling Moses up on the mountain and giving him the law and then, and then all the miracles you see through the Old Testament. And, and then the greatest way of all that God has intervened would be through what? Through Jesus, the incarnation. And so we're confronted in the Bible with a God who's very much involved in his creation. He hadn't walked away from it at all. There, were some, there are some who would give a theological reason. They'd say, well, if God already knows everything and his will is going to be done anyway, then why pray? Well, certain things are going to be done anyway. For instance, uh, were, were any humans there at creation? Was it God's will to create the world? Yeah. Was anybody there? To pray about that? No. Did God do it anyway? Yeah, God did it anyway. God had a plan. He simply carried out his plan. Likewise, he had a plan in redemption. Christ was crucified from before the foundation of the world. Christ is going to come back again too, whether we pray about it or not. So yeah, there are certain things within the will of God that God is going to do with or without our prayers. But yet there's much in the Bible that we're told is directly tied to prayer. James said, you have not because you ask not. Jesus said, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. And knock and keep on knocking. And the door will be open to you. And so the person who says, I'm not going to pray because everything's already predetermined, they're ignoring the direct commandments we have in the Bible to pray. And they're ignoring the situations we see in the Bible where as a result of the saints of God praying, God did in fact move in fresh ways. Some would give an ethical reason. Their argument goes something like this. I don't pray because prayer is a cop-out. It's what people do who are afraid to act. It's a substitute for action. I believe in action. I believe in doing. Folks, when we read the Bible, we discover that among the saints, prayer was never a substitute for action. Instead, it was the fuel for more effective action. Moses prayed, and then what did Moses do? He went into Pharaoh and said, let God's people go. Joshua prayed, and then after he prayed, what did he do? He led the children of Israel to begin going into the promised land and battling against the Canaanites. David prayed, and then went out and battled Goliath. Nehemiah prayed and then assembled people together to build the wall. Jesus prayed in the garden and then went to the cross. The disciples prayed for boldness in the midst of persecution and then they went out into the streets of the city and they spoke with boldness. And so prayer and action, there's there's not a wedge between the two. There's not a wedge. Prayer and action go hand in hand. Prayer is going to make our action more focused. 
and more purposeful, more effective. Well, when we do pray, we often pray selfishly. But such was not the case with Abraham. He interceded. Folks, there is nothing more selfless than when we intercede for others. The great saints in the Bible interceded for others. Moses said, Lord, I ask you to forgive the transgressions of these people. And if not, then Lord, just blot me out of your book. All of the churches to whom the Apostle Paul wrote. There's prayers in those letters where he interceded for them. Jesus interceded. So again... Examples of intercession are all throughout the Bible. Now, what is it that we learn about Abraham's intercession tonight? We're going to see that it was compassionate, it was confident, and it was constant. I want you to look at each of these. Abraham's intercession was marked by compassion. Look with me again at verses 23 and 24. Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Folks, Abraham, the friend of God, has become also the friend of of man, right? The Lord has chosen Abraham, and he says in verse 17, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And so we see a beautiful truth here that those who walk in intimacy with God learn the secrets of God. God shares with his people his will, he does that for us today through his word. Now, we're told later in this passage that there was an outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah which had reached the ears of God. Now, what do you think that outcry was about? Apparently, that means there were a few people in Sodom and Gomorrah, not many, but there were a few people in Sodom and Gomorrah and the area surrounding there that were very disturbed about the wickedness of those cities. And what had they done with their concern about the wickedness of those cities? They prayed. When we look at the wickedness of the world today, I hope it moves us to pray. And the Bible says here that God had what? God had heard the outcry of these people. And and God had seen that their sin was exceedingly grave. Now that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? That it was exceedingly grave. I hear people say all the time, and probably you do too, isn't all sin the same? Isn't all sin equal? Well, what is equal 
is that we all are sinners. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so the equality is in the fact that we're all equally sinners. Guilty of sin. But folks, when you read through the Old Testament, apparently there were certain things that God looked at differently than other things. You can read, for example, in Exodus, in Leviticus, in Numbers and Deuteronomy, in in the Pentateuch, first five books in the Bible, where God said, and particularly I'm thinking of some of the passages right now in Exodus, God said, if the people commit this sin, then do this to them. And if they commit this sin, then do this to them. But if they commit this sin, then you're to put them to death. There was different punishments. What would that lead us to believe? That would lead us to believe... Logically, that what? God looks at sin differently. Again, we're all guilty. And the wages of sin is what? Death. But God looks at things differently. You get over to the New Testament and writing to the Corinthians. The Corinthians were guilty of a whole host of different kinds of sin. But there was one thing in particular that that man had done in chapter 5 that the Lord said you should have put him out of the church for what he did. So I don't go along with that thought that says doesn't matter what sin you commit, God, God looks at it all the same. That doesn't bear out in the Bible. Well, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, as we'll see, uh, may not have been confined to, but it included sexual sin. Some people want to say, oh, they were just guilty of the sin of lack of hospitality. (laughs) No, In chapter 19, it becomes very clear what they're guilty of. Because the men of the city, what are they wanting to do with the guests that have come under Lot's roof? They're wanting to have homosexual relations with them. There's there's no doubt about what they're guilty of, what they're wanting to do. God shares with Abraham that he's going to go down for a closer investigation. Doesn't God know all things? Of course he does. That's just an anthropomorphism. Explaining things in, in terms that we would understand as men. And also pointing out that God's not going to judge them without assuring Abraham that he has carefully considered these outcries that are reaching his ears. His judgment 
isn't going to be arbitrary or capricious. It's going to be careful. It's going to be based on fact. Now, what do we see here in God going down to check out what's going on? We see the justice of God here and the mercy of God, right? Both. God's justice and God's mercy. If they're guilty of what these outcries are saying they're guilty of, God's going to deal with this sin. God's going to judge it. But if there's only a certain few righteous in the city, God's going to withhold the judgment. So the passage is is showing us both God's justice and God's mercy. Is, Is God a just God? Yes, He's a just God. He will punish sin. But He's also a merciful God. He's a merciful God. But again, look at Abraham's response. Despite their evil, despite their lostness, despite their paganism, he cared. He cared about them. His intercession was marked by compassion. He wanted to pray for everybody in the city. He was concerned for those who may not, if there was anybody there that might not deserve such a swift and strict judgment. And so he's praying on that basis. Though again, it's intercession marked by compassion. And so he begins interceding. Now folks, how often do you and I Intercede for people. Right now in your Christian life, are you, are you praying for anybody? D.L. Moody on one occasion after a stirring message on soul winning was asked by a woman. She, she said, why am I not a better witness? D.L. Moody said, ma'am, perhaps it's because you don't care enough. She said that really hit her hard. She went home that night and she decided that in the flyleaf of her Bible where she had written down some names of folks that, that she was going to start praying over, she, I mean, she was really going to start gut-wrenching prayer over them. And she got where she was weeping over those people. The more she prayed, the more she would weep. And the more she would weep over him, the more she would pray. Well, you know what? She was able to come back months, months and months later and report. She had been able to lead to faith in Christ. Every one of those people she had started praying for that way. When her prayer life took on that new dimension that I am really going to pray for, I am really going to care about these lost people that I'm praying for. I'm really going to get myself invested in this. I'm going to get emotionally invested in their lostness. And I'm going to start weeping over these people. I'm not, when she had that change of heart, 
she saw every one of them saved. How often do we intercede for people with that kind of compassion? You know, the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 2 that when we gather together in church services, we're to pray for our leaders. We're to pray for our national leaders. You know, whoever comes in office at any given time, there'll be Christians. It doesn't matter who's in office. Some will agree with them. Some won't agree with them. But the Bible says, are we praying for them? Are we interceding for our leaders? Intercession. Secondly, about Abraham's intercession, I want you to notice that it was marked by confidence. Look at verse 25. What's he say in verse 25? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fares the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? What, did Ab- what was Abraham counting on the fact that God would do? That God would act in accordance with his nature. God, you're going to do right. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Folks, we need a proper understanding of God as we pray, right? What's, What's the Bible say about God? Well... Says he's all wise. He's all wise. What's Paul say at the end of Romans 11? No one has ever become his counselor at any time. No one has ever advised God. God doesn't need advice from man. God's all wise. Not only is he all wise, but he's all powerful as well, right? Not only is he all-wise and all-powerful, but he's all-loving. Not only is he all-loving, but he's holy and righteous. God can't do anything but right. He's holy. He's just. Folks, when we think about These attributes of God, we see all of these attributes of God in perfect balance with one another, right? All of the attributes of God are in perfect balance. Some people want to, they want to pull one of them out and concentrate on just one. But we can't do that with God. We We have to look at all of His attributes, And they all function together, right? And when we see that, we see a perfect picture of God in the Bible. And then we are to pray based on what the Bible tells us about God's character. That's why we need to read our Bibles and study about God. Study what He's like because as we study our Bibles and what God's like, we're going to pray more effectively. 
And so again, what Abraham is doing, he is approaching God based on who God is. God is a just God and he is a righteous God and he can do no other thing other than righteousness. Folks, when we pray and ask certain things of God, we can know that God is going to do the right thing 100% of the time. God's not going to do right just 99% of the time. He's going to do right 100% of the time. Every time we pray and ask God, uh, intercede for somebody, God is going to do right. It's all that God can do. Now, Abraham did perhaps get a little sidetracked on one thing, though. While knowing that God would always do the right thing, Abraham is kind of assuming that the righteous may not have to suffer. Does the Bible teach that? No, we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world and we have an enemy, Satan. Sometimes God will allow righteous people to suffer to teach us lessons, to grow us. Sometimes God lets somebody righteous suffer and says, you're just going to have to try. I'm not going to tell you why you're suffering, but you're going to have to just trust me that my grace is sufficient to get you through this. So God will always do right. Will sometimes the righteous have to suffer? Yeah, because God may have a purpose in it. Right? I, I think when the Bible, the Old Testament, speaking of those who are righteous, they had faith like Abraham's that was what theologians call proleptic faith looking forward. We look back on the cross, they looked forward to it. Uh, proleptic, whereas ours looks in reverse. But based on the knowledge they had uh, and looking forward to God's perfect sacrifice for sin, they were trusting in that and righteous in that sense. But folks, too, notice that when we pray, sometimes when we're praying for folks... We don't know what God's answer may be, but we can trust that God will always be able to bring God's will and the person's need in perfect balance, right? That's what Romans 8.26 says. We may not know what to pray for somebody as we ought. And Paul says that's when the Holy Spirit makes perfect intercession. Because he, know, he perfectly knows God's heart because he's God's spirit. And he perfectly knows our need. And he's able to perfectly bring together our need 
with God's heart and God's will in a way that the person's need is answered best. So again, Abraham is going before God with all of this assurance. Knowing that God will do right. Now again, not fully understanding perhaps that sometimes the righteous do suffer. And there's a reason for that because we do live in a fallen world. But nonetheless, God will always do what is right. And then thirdly, we see that Abraham's intercession was marked by constancy. He wouldn't give up. Lord, what if there's this many righteous? No, I'll not destroy that. Well, what about this many? No. How about this many? No. Well, Lord, how about this many? No. Lord, let me be bold one more time. How about this many? Now, folks, that's boldness, isn't it? But there's a lesson for us in that, right? Jesus told a parable that we would be like that and not give up. He told about a little widow who wouldn't give up. She had nothing going for her other than her persistence. And she kept going before that judge over and over and over again. And finally that judge said, I'm going to answer her request, lest she blacken my eye. Meaning, she's going to give me a bad reputation in the community. The judge wasn't thinking, here's a little lady that's going to box my ears. But, black in my eye it was an idiom an expression she's going to ruin my reputation and Jesus said hear what the unjust judge said and what Jesus is saying if an unjust judge can be moved by by persistence how much more will the righteous God of the universe be moved well Abraham illustrates that doesn't he he doesn't give up He keeps going time and time. Lord, let me ask one more time. Lord, one more time. Lord, one more time. Do you pray with that kind of boldness? With that kind of constancy? The Bible's teaching us to. To pray with that kind of boldness that we don't give up. No doubt he's very concerned about his nephew Lot. Yes. Very concerned about his nephew Lot. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, his prayer marked by compassion. What else did I say? Confidence. 
And what else? Finally, constancy. And what happened? God assured him that he had heard. Abraham's intercession made a difference. Now, folks, today in the New Testament, you and I even have a greater assurance, don't we? Because the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that one has gone before us behind the curtain, right? Who's it speaking of? Jesus. And he's there making intercession for us, and, and it, through him... The writer of Hebrews is saying, we can go boldly behind the curtain into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God. If Abraham had this kind of prayer life and this kind of effectiveness, the New Testament is saying you and I as Christians have an even greater assurance, right? An even greater assurance. But again, the question is, do you and I dare to go boldly like this before the throne of grace? And if not, why not? Has sin gotten less in the world so that we don't need to pray as much about sin? The world's just the world is just a lot better. It's not sinful like this. We don't the world doesn't need us praying anymore for them like Abraham prayed for Sodom and Gomorrah. Is that true? Nope. Nope. It's wickedness in the world, right? And folks, those who are guilty don't know. They don't realize how much they need us praying for them. Right? And you what? <laughs> and and we can pray that God would open their eyes and grant grant them repentance before it's too late. Because judgment is coming one day. Now again, God's merciful. And 2 Peter 3 says the only reason why the judgment hasn't come yet is because God is merciful. So again, wickedness is not less than it was here. It's not less today. Is God more deaf today than he was here? Is God more deaf, more unwilling to hear no. God's, God's not listening less to us than he was to Abraham is my point. The world's just as bad. God is still listening. But the question is, are you and I willing to stand in the gap 
and be as bold in our intercession. Yes. Yes. Exactly. So I want to challenge you tonight to make intercessory prayer more of a constant in your life. You have family members that depend on it, co-workers that depend on it, friends that depend on it, a church that depends on it, a community that depends on it. You have confidence that God gives us in His Word that He hears and He answers according to His will. So again, we have every reason to do exactly what Abraham was doing here. The question is, are we willing to do it?